Welcome to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah from Baker Tilly KDN. This podcast is about helping business owners and entrepreneurs understand and overcome their tax planning challenges. Join us for this journey as Frankie Loretto and Sarah Netley draw from years of expertise and guest experts to help make complex tax planning concepts make sense. Hello and welcome to From the Source with your hosts, Frankie and Sarah, where you get the right information right from the source. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, ladies. How are you? Good. How are you? Happy New Year. The new year. We're all looking good and feeling good, right? We are. We're ready to roll with 2024. Yeah. 2024. Who can believe it, right? Not I. Yeah. (laughs) All right, ladies. We have a guest today. We do. We're really excited. We have Denise Branton from Branton Law. Um, So the last couple episodes, we've been chatting about um, your estate, what happens when you pass. And obviously, an important piece of the estate planning is is having a will and and what that looks like. So we're really fortunate to have Denise here today to uh, give us some insight from, you know, with the legal hat on of, you know, what you need to think about when preparing your will, when you should have a will, and all those really important discussions that have to happen. So uh, Denise is a lawyer uh, practicing in Whippy. She's been practicing for over 18 years. So we're really fortunate to have her knowledge because Frankie, how many times do we say we're not lawyers, you need to talk to a lawyer? At, at least once an episode. I, I think we think just so. do that to protect ourselves. But I think so we, too. We've been talking about the need to have a lawyer for a while now. So we finally have a lawyer on. So thank you, Denise, for uh, taking the time today to be with us. So and welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So exciting yeah. to be on a podcast. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, just just be prepared for, you know, the fame that will come after. (laughs) Yeah, Sarah and I are still adjusting to our fame. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right, right. I'll watch out. My phone will be ringing off the hook, I'm sure. Exactly. (laughs) So I think we'll just like dive into the discussion today about uh, everything to do with wills. And so I think just kind of the first question would be, you know, what is the purpose of the will with that? legal hat on what what would you say the purpose of that will is yeah the, i mean the the will is uh, uh you know obviously something that uh every person every adult certainly should have uh, you know it's really to put your affairs in order another phrase is get your ducks in a row uh it, it's just one of those things that uh if you don't have then you are not certain um of of what's going to happen with your estate when you die who's going to get your money and just getting your affairs in order all in all. So it, every person alive should ensure that they have a will. Uh, You have to be at least 18 uh, with some exceptions to that Canadian armed forces, for example. Uh, But every person should have a will. And at what point, you know, should I have a will? Cause I know I'm, I still consider myself young and a lot of my friends don't have wills. Like, what would you say is kind of that pivotal moment in someone's life where, you know, they should get a will now if they don't already have one? Typically, people would say when they have some assets, right? Um, But the reality is, is that, you know, if you had a child that, you know, you would want to ensure that you're addressing who would be a guardian of that child if you passed away and often that put into a will. So that is another reason. So children, assets. But the reality is, even if you had, you know, a 
$75,000 of assets or something like that, you still have to say what you want to do with those assets, right? Uh, if you don't, then the good old uh, government has created a legislation that says what will happen with your mm-hmm. assets. Yeah. So that's uh, kind of leads into what our, our next question was, is what happens you know, if someone dies without a will? I think, Wendy, it might have been one of our first episodes. You said, I don't have a will. It's just me and my my partner. Do I need one? And we know you're in the States, but we'll be talking more from the Ontario perspective. I, but yeah, so what happens? Yeah, what happens? Because I still don't have one. Yeah, yeah, you should have one, Wendy. <laughs> yes, I know I should. Okay, so the term is called dying intestate. You know, when you have a will, you're considered to die testate. And when you don't, you're considered to die intestate. You know, a lot of a lot of issues arise. Um, and, you know, the reality is, is we we com- we have like really complex lives, personal relationships, we have investments, possibly we have real estate. I mean, there's, you know, you name it. it it's not, you know, straightforward and simple for anybody. In Ontario, we have what's called the Succession Law Reform Act. And, uh, you know, every province has a different type of legislation that's very similar uh, in Canada. Um, Just a few scenarios that kind of come up, right? So if you were a common law partner, for example, uh, and you passed away, your common law partner does not automatically receive your estate. That's in Ontario and and New Brunswick. Uh, There is legislation in British Columbia, Manitoba, Alberta. uh, That's different. However, in Ontario, your common law partner's really out of luck, you have to go to the legislation and look to see uh, what some it's called the table of consanguinity, uh, which is a Latin phrase, um, basically meaning, you know, roughly the blood close closeness by blood. Uh, But that's what you go to. So a, a common law partner would actually have to make a dependence claim to get any of your assets. And I think that's a really important point. For people to understand because I have had situations where somebody, a client dies without a will and they had a common law spouse, The like apart from that dependent relief, like you said, Denise, the common law spouse was not entitled to anything. The deceased had left their RRSP, their registered accounts, named a designated beneficiary, which was not the common law spouse. Mm. So that asset was already, you know, designated somewhere else. And then the residual of the estate, it went to brothers. Like there, so it, it it has a significant impact on your surviving common law spouse if you do not have a will. Yeah, it's 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 a real shame. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, the legislation may evolve and change. We have had some changes in our legislation, particularly since, since the pandemic. You know, one other thing is, is that spouses just think that they get everything, right? Oh, I'm a spouse, so I get all my husband's estate. That's not true. You get a preferential share if, you, if your husband doesn't have a, a will. Mm-hmm. So and again, that could it, have a significant impact, right, on that surviving spouse if they yeah. get only a portion of that estate and the rest goes to kids or... Yeah. Yeah, it, there, it's, 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 there's a line of succession that applies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when a spouse gets a preferential share, that's one thing. But then if you look at, then it's going to children, if they're minors, that has to go into trust to trust hasn't been created. I mean, it's it just it's a slippery slope if you don't have a will. I understand what you're saying. But what if it's like, you know, say an asset like a house and both of your names are on the title? I mean, then does it automatically transfer to the spouse? Yeah. So, I mean, from an estate planning perspective, there's, you know, ways in which you can ensure that your partner uh, receives an asset, for example, holding title as joint tenants in Ontario or jointly or joint owners or holders in other other provinces and, and outside of Canada. 
for sure. You know, there's, there's that. And then naming beneficiaries and an RSP is naming a beneficiary. So there are some estate planning tools that you can put in place. That means that those assets don't fall within the will itself uh, when you die for sure. It's just there. The reality is, is there's many assets that, that in fact do fall within the will uh, that don't, that aren't addressed if you, if you don't have a will. Yeah. And I think, Sarah, we talked a little bit about some of the issues that can arise with probate fee planning. And and some of that ties in with what you're saying, Denise, with using beneficiary designations and and whatnot. But that will, like you said, you don't have a tool without the will to help kind of equalize when you have situations where the probate planning puts you in an, a difficult situation from, from a, whether it's a tax perspective or an equalization perspective. So really the will sounds to me, it's the ability to choose. It's the ability to decide what happens. Without the will, you are in the hands of legislation and hope to God it lines up with what you wanted. But a lot of the times it doesn't, especially if you don't get along with a sibling and you're not married and et cetera, which is a common, more common than we'd like to admit thing. Yeah. And the other, the other major thing is often people believe that, that their family will respect their wishes. Right. And I get that. However, things change when somebody mm-hmm. passes away. Yep, and and that is not always the case. And some people don't, they think that they will respect their wishes, but they don't, the family then doesn't know what the wishes really truly are. And then they exactly. start to interpret. It gets very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. All right. So that really hits home as to why you need to have a will. And so are there things that need to happen from a legal point of view for you to create a valid will? Absolutely. So there's a, you know, the formal, a formal will, uh, and a formal attested will is a will that is in writing, it's witnessed by two witnesses, all, you know, at the same time as you're signing, so everybody's in the same room together. Uh, that's the the formal way of, of signing a will and ensuring that you have a valid will. Uh, again, it comes from the legislation, in terms of that formality, there is an exception to that from, uh, you know, in terms of a formal signed uh, and witnessed will, and that's a holograph will. So we still in Ontario allow a handwritten will uh, where an individual, you know, signs it themselves, hand writes it out and signs it themselves. Uh, It is allowed. And uh, it's actually interesting. There's a 1948 case that lawyers that practice in this area uh, refer to as the defender case. And that's where uh, Mr. Harris, Mr. Harris was a farmer in Saskatchewan in 1948. And he got trapped underneath a tractor. And oh he scratched out, you know, got his pocket knife out and scratched on a fender of the tractor. Um, you know, in case I die in this mess, I'll, I leave everything to my wife. And he died the next day, unfortunately. And they, they needed to determine whether or not he had left a valid will. And they brought, you know, dismantled the fan fender oh and goodness. brought it into court. And it was recognized as a valid holograph will. So, that's so crazy. You know, so that's, that's not, yeah, that's not our suggestion. <laughs> Still go through, <laughs> talk to your lawyer, get a valid will. But it is good to know that barring certain circumstances, yeah, handwritten. So I guess I'm just going to pose a question. I guess that makes it very clear if you type out, because we're in a digital age and people are probably more inclined to type things and leave a letter of instruct, like, a, you know, here's what I want to happen. That will not, is that, that generally will not? no. Okay. Correct. If, if it is typewritten, you've typed, you've, you've typed something out and you have, you sign it in the presence of two other witnesses. Yeah. It could be viewed as a valid will. Okay. Right? But it has you to typing. be 
Yeah, people tend not to, in my experience, people tend not to always uh, ensure that it's properly witnessed, right? A Mm -hmm. formal attested will has a process in it. It is a a testator signing a will in front of two witnesses who are in the presence of the testator and the other witness. So that is is, is sometimes an issue. Uh, After the pandemic or during the pandemic, they created under the Succession Law Reform Act, uh, there's a new section that actually considers how to validate wills that are not perfect, have imperfections, and sometimes circumstances arise that they need to do that. And so that's been tested at the court in 2022 and 23 uh, with several cases. One, just to, you know, off the top of my head is the testator, the testator was in the presence of the witnesses, but one of the witnesses forgot to sign the will and nobody noticed. And then that testator died and people said, well, he did a formal will. And the court recognized that, that absolutely it was considered a valid will. There were witnesses who confirmed he was present uh, and and the witness himself said, I was present, I just forgot to Mm -hmm. sign the will and that was considered valid. So there is, uh, the legislation does allow some room to consider wills to be valid. Again, you know, your best rule of thumb is to stick with doing a formal will. Uh, There are are some mechanisms um, though out there. Yeah, I was uh, doing some estate planning for a client and we were in the process of, you know, reviewing their their wills and they were just about to go on, I think, a month or so long cruise to, I don't even remember where, but a big concern was, you know, what if we pass away on this trip before we get these wills finalized and signed? And the lawyer was the one that suggested, well, why don't you, you know, let's do a quick handwritten will. I'll witness it, you know, like I'll be there. We'll have two people witness it, sign it, and that will be valid. And the client was so surprised that this, you know, like, like I can just write it on this napkin. He was like, yeah, like it'll be very simple, but like yeah. at least it will cover the main things you want to cover until yeah. you come back and we can finalize the the formal will. So I think that's mm-hmm. always a big question. I think it's TV and movies. It's so if I just write this on a napkin, like, is that? a valid will? Because that's usually the response to, okay, well, I don't have a will. I don't want to go through the whole process. Can I just write something down? Um, And I think, you know, that in the age, kind of going back to your point, Sarah, about, you know, we're in a digital age and everyone's, you know, in that DIY mindset trying to save money. Will kits. Denise, what's your thoughts on will kits? Because I know a lot of our clients, you know, will come and say, yeah, well, I've got a will kit from 10, like I did a will kit 10 years ago, so I should be, should be fine. What are your thoughts on, on that? I think that, uh, you know, they, they serve a purpose and, you know, they can be very cost effective and, you know, they're convenient, of course. What I don't think uh, that they address necessarily is what, what the law is today, right? So something that's done in the past isn't going to necessarily address various changes in our law they're, they're not up to date, right? So that that's one. But then also the reality is, is because we have complexity in our lives, whether it's personal relationships, beneficiaries, you know, blended families, you, you know, you name it in terms of who may want your assets, you, you know, keeping it as, as simple as possible, you uh, know, in, in a will that you're drafting uh, is very difficult for an individual who doesn't draft wills. So uh, using a will kit, I don't think is going to necessarily address everything. Uh, the other is you can inadvertently put in something that you don't realize that you're doing. And, and I had a client recently give me one of their wills that they did during the pandemic when they got very worried that that something might happen. And so they had done a will kit and they left $1,000 to their pet. And seems pretty okay, except for the fact that that creates a trust. 
So when when that person, if that person died, the executor then would have to create a trust that costs money, right? To to develop a trust and maintain the trust and maintain a trust for a thousand dollars for a pet. Uh, you know, that's not typically what you want to do. And and so there's some funny things that that people put into to will kits because they don't, you know, they're not lawyers and they don't uh, appreciate the interpretation of of what they've inserted. So I, I think. It, it serves its purpose. It could be a perhaps a placeholder until you get uh, a will. But I do recommend that, you know, proper estate planning around what your investments are, what your assets are. Uh, there's all sorts of considerations around estate planning that isn't necessarily even part of your will. Uh, you know, it could be what, what are your registered investments? Do you have insurance? You know, um, the tax yeah. bill, what does the tax bill look like? And I'm so sure you, there's so much more. I'm sure you glean so much more too from your clients when you have those conversations and the the clients, you know, have a better understanding of what it is they want with those conversations. And you don't get those conversations with a will kit, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure there's questions and things and prompts, but like to your point, the experience of, well, I've seen people do that before and it didn't work out because of X, Y, and Z. So either don't do it or we need to you know, modify the the plan or the wording, whatever it might be. So yeah, I think you're right. Will kids probably have their place, especially in those circumstances, like your client, Frankie, where you're going off on a, on a trip and you're, you don't have anything. Okay. Well, yeah, do, do something quick to at least have something in place. But I think especially for, you know, clients with more complex estates, having legal advice and legal counsel is, is critical. So we're going to stop right there. We're going to take a quick five minute break, stretch our legs, grab a coffee, and we will be back with some more chat on Wills. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at curtis.bakertilly.ca and all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. All right. So Denise, what are your thoughts on AI, chat, GPT, for will creation. I don't know if you guys have clients asking you questions about that, but are clients thinking that that's a solution to drafting wills? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's funny. I it seems to be the hot, hot word these days. Chat GPT is just really artificial general intelligence, but the legal world and the accounting world and uh, you know many professionals have been working with artificial specific intelligence, which is the same thing virtually that you know we use to create wills for example you know i use a program that i that i've always used uh that to create a will and so it's the same concept but i think it's funny that people think this is some new fancy thing it is don't get me wrong you could say to uh your computer that you want you know artificial intelligence you want to create a will that has x y and z in it and could it create it sure it kind of goes back to the will kit it isn't any different it is a will kit in effect is truly you know the artificial general intelligence that people are talking about okay um so now that you know we've talked about wills we need a will everyone should have a will I guess what are what are your thoughts on things that you know clients, business owners need to be thinking about in drafting those wills? I think the the most important thing for a business owner is whether or not they have a corporation, and if they have a corporation, considering whether or not they need a secondary will. And there, multiple wills are, are frequently used because uh, it gives you the ability to carve out an asset to, to be dealt with in a certain way. So even if you don't have a corporation or you're not a business owner, 
but you have property that you want to deal with specifically, and you want to keep that private from the rest of your assets, you could do a second will to do that. Multiple wills are commonly used. In terms of the business owner, the the idea is that if you do a second will, you would specifically address the shares in your corporation. It would be completely separate. And sometimes we refer to that as the non-probatable will. Uh, shares in uh, in a company are considered personal property and personal property, if separated from the rest of your assets in a non-probatable will, are not subject to probate, which is also formally known as a state administration tax. Right. And we did touch on that, Frankie, in a, mm-hmm. in a previous episode, the, you know, the, the cost of having your will probated or damped by the courts. And so that can be a significant tax savings, not income tax, but uh, probate tax savings by just simply having uh, a secondary will to deal with those types of assets. Absolutely. And and I think that business owner, not all business owners know that, right? right? They're not fully aware of the tax savings. And this is provincial tax, right? Mm-hmm. Not, as you said, not federal income tax, but this right. is probate fees, death tax, some people call it um, <laughs> morbidly. But it really is a state administration tax that our government requires that we pay on on the value of our assets. And of course, there are some assets that are not subject to that probate fee. For example, a jointly held property. Uh, when somebody dies, it automatically rolls into the other person or RSP where there's a beneficiary. That being said, the other the other major reason for having that secondary will as a business owner is because you can address your shares. You can address how your business will be. Uh, handled when you pass away. Uh, And so not everybody does that planning. And when you start to look at your wills and your estate plan, you start to think of what what will happen with my business if I pass away. So it's a great opportunity to do that. And do you ever see, you know, like a different, say, executor for a secondary, like for your business will, you know, say you want to leave your your spouse as the executor of your primary estate, but if they don't have, you know, the expertise or so to deal with the business aspect of it? Or is that not so much the executor, but somebody else referenced to in that secondary will? Ideally, it is better to have an executor uh, to be the same in your primary will as your secondary will and not have different people. It is just easier uh, from a from a planning and dealing with your estate administration. You know, you're not going to go and get probate on your secondary will. So, you know, you could, you know, add in your your general manager of your business, for example, but I would add your spouse uh, acting jointly on that situation. So your spouse is still part of it. Uh, Ultimately, you know, if you're leaving all of your assets to your spouse, for example, under your secondary will as well, your spouse will want to have a say perhaps in uh, when they receive the funds and, and that type of thing. Right. That makes sense. So, you know, on that same line, we can bring up the topic of when they receive the funds. So I guess just comments or your thoughts on who should actually be named executor. I think part of the time we see clients thinking, well, I have three kids, they all should be executor. Or I'm, you know, I have three children and I want them to be executors, but I want them to inherit, you know, over time, not all at once. So I'm setting up trusts. Like, I guess just your thoughts on, on that role of executor. And who that sure. right person sure. is? Yeah, absolutely. the 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 issue with naming all of your children as executor uh, can be that then they all have to make a decision together. If you you know if your children don't get along, then there could be some problems with that. Yeah, I tend to have conversations with clients about this, and they they think it's a 
fairness and an equity issue. Like we need to treat all the children fairly. So they all need to be executors because, you know, they're, I want them to inherit equally. So they need to also be executors equally, which, yeah, I don't. That might indicate they don't understand the level right. of work involved for, well, I guess it yeah. is treating them fair, but it's more so a punishment, less than a reward. I think it's a lot of work. That's a really good point. Executors, the, the role of an executor is is extensive. They have a lot of work to do. And really the the ideal person to be an executor for somebody's estate is, is a person who is organized and good with money and good with financial decision-making. Uh, naming all all your children, for example, is it, it just gets it gets difficult. It can be difficult. And in my experience, uh, I have ex- had clients where the three children can't agree on on dealing with the estate administration, and it just takes much longer. There are problems. There can be a rift in the relationship between the children. It's just not ideal. I do appreciate that some families that they, they don't have issues, which is which is fine. That being said, sometimes it's better to name a trust company. You know, if there's significant wealth, considering a trust company is a very good idea. An executor is entitled to uh, an executor's fee. Some people don't understand that that an executor is is entitled to an executor fee. So they think you know a trust company is going to be expensive, but not necessarily more than than what the executor would get anyway. So it is something to consider if there is significant wealth. Uh, also, in terms of children, you know, if you named all three children and said, you know, my children are 25, 27, and 30, for example, and I'm going to name them all, and then I'm going to set up a trust where they don't get the money until they're 40, then when they're all executors and you've passed away, they can make the decision to just close that trust and get it the money now. Yeah. So it defeats the purpose of right. leaving it in trust to 40. So right. you always have to consider that part of it when you name them as executor. And this is the um, like the great advice that clients get when dealing with a lawyer versus a will kit, right, Denise? Yeah, yeah. People don't necessarily do trust. That's the other right. the other part in a will kit. I, I one thing is people don't recognize that when they're leaving money to a child at a certain age, they don't understand that they're actually in effect creating a trust if that child hasn't reached that age when the person passes away. So that's another point about a will kit. So I'm cognizant of time and I think um, kind of one interesting question we'd like to pick your brain on is just like the digital assets and how those are dealt with through a will. Things like, you know, not just your social media accounts, but, you know, if you have crypto or even just, you know, self-directed investment accounts, how do you deal with, you know, all the passwords and making sure the executor will be able to identify that, you know, there are these things um, Mm -hmm. that the deceased had? Yeah, that's a good question. Leaving, putting a provision in your will is important. And, you know, in particular, there are, you know, when it comes to social media and digital devices, uh, laptops, iPads, phones, iPhones, if your partner doesn't have your passwords, then it's very difficult to get access to the, to the information to get into your computer or what have you. You know, Apple, for example, it's very difficult if you want to, you know, your, your laptop is encrypted. And so how are you going to get into the laptop if you don't have the password? Uh, and it may have valuable information, photos, family photos. And so uh, there is some, Apple has created a, a legacy contact that you can fill out and, and create to allow you to ensure that your assets, you know, your, your family can access your device. Leaving a provision in your will is very important to ensure that 
you know, your social media can be addressed. Uh, you know, your if you have a, a website, you're a business owner, you have a website, often people don't understand that to get access to that website and to own that URL, you have to have the given the authority to your executor to do that. Right. Yeah. So it poses um, just another level, right, of complexity and yeah. issues that can arise that aren't, you know, necessarily income tax driven or, you know, mm-hmm. really probate fee driven, but just other um, administrative things that executors have to deal with nowadays. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. The other- Go ahead, Denise. Sorry. Sorry. The other one is uh, pets. And I know I just touched on pets earlier with the, the will kits. It's, it's one that is a continuous conversation that I have is, is how do I take care of my pet if I pass away, particularly, you know, older people. Uh, I have a client who has a horse and, you know, she wanted to provide for that horse. And, you know, she owns the horse. If, if she passes away and doesn't provide for the horse, the executors decide, you know, same with your dog. If you don't provide for your, your pet, then your executor is ultimately going to decide. So having those conversations and making sure that either A, you provide for them in your will, uh, appointing somebody to become your pet owner uh, and getting that person to agree to that is is very important. Awesome. I think we're just about uh, out of time here. Janice, thank you so, so much for your time. This was an awesome episode and I think it answered a lot of the questions Sarah and I left unended in a couple of previous episodes. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks both. Thanks to both of you. Yeah. So Denise, is there is anybody that has questions? Is there a way they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. They can go to my website, www.brantonlaw.ca. All right. And how about you ladies? How do we get in touch with you? Yeah, you can give us a call at the office at 905-579-5659. Or you can check out our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca. All right. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for listening today. Please like, follow and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca or give us a call at 905 905- The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Frankie Loretto, Sarah Netley, or Baker Tilly KDN. Baker Tilly KDN LLP is a member of the Baker Tilly Canada Cooperative, which is a member of the global network of Baker Tilly International Limited. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional accounting advice. Always seek the advice of your chartered professional accountant or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your tax planning.